It is so quiet in here. Cheryl Wayne's going to lead us in a, in a song before we uh, get started with this uh, session. That's a good thing to remember. The Lord is always available and he is always the best first choice. Let me read to you a section out of a, an introduction of a book written by a widow. Imagine a single event that will dramatically change your calendar, your checkbook, your friendship network, the contents of your refrigerator, the temperature you set your thermostat, your outlook on your future, your connection with your children, and that's not all. Your appearance may change, your emotions, your sleep patterns, your theology, your social status, and possibly your address. I experienced most of these changes and more beginning on April 21, 2006, the day I became a widow. I don't like that word. And I still will not check that box to identify myself. The loss of your spouse can have a dramatic effect on your life. It is amazing how thoroughly impactful that the loss of your spouse can be. And in many ways, it's an out-of-control kind of life for a while. You're just kind of at the mercy of your thinker and your feeler, and they are so at odds sometimes, and you're experiencing something you've never experienced before, 
and so you struggle. And it's okay to admit that you're struggling. As a matter of fact, admitting that you're struggling is probably the first step toward getting better during the course of that struggle. It is uh, natural, I think, for somebody who's lost their spouse and enjoyed the blessings of marriage to at least consider the possibility of another marriage relationship. Diane Shevstall was uh, married when she was 19 years old. She married a 23-year-old boyfriend of hers. They were married for 23 years. They had two daughters, and at this point, uh, one daughter was 13, the other was 16. And Diane was fixing breakfast Sunday morning and sent one of her teenage daughters down to the basement to get their dad. And the teenage daughter found her father dead. So after 23 years, she is suddenly having to deal with the loss of her spouse. This is about two and a half years later, I got this email from her. First of all, it scares me to think about this whole thing of dating and just starting over again. I'm not sure if I can love someone like I loved Gary. I'm very lonely. I miss his companionship every day. We talked about it before, about if something were to happen to one of us that we would want the other to remarry. It was easy to say that when he was here, but now he's gone and it's much more difficult to talk about. I would like to be able to love again, but I'm not sure that my heart is ready or is able to handle that again. It also scares me because I know that if I get remarried, that if my spouse goes before me again, I don't want to have to go through the pain of losing a spouse again. I don't know if I could do it again or not. Well, people do remarry after loss. Travis Irwin, who himself recently passed away, sent me this uh, email in 2016 when I was seeking information from people who had known some folks who had remarried. And here's what Travis sent me. He said, my dad died in January of 2013. There was a man at mom's church whose wife died the day before my dad died. He took care of his wife for 12 years. I officiated at the wedding ceremony of Bob and my mom last April. Mom was 88. He was 78. I met uh, Bill and Verl when I was doing a workshop at the Woodson Chapel Church outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I had lunch with them that Sunday after worship. And in the course of that uh, eating together with them, I got to hear their story of love and loss and love again. And in the course of that visit together, I said, Verl, this is way too much for me to remember. I said, Please send me, in written form, your story. Well, I get this handwritten in cursive story about Bill and Verl. I want to share with you a little bit about their story. Bill and Verl, she writes in the third person. Bill and Verl had a long, happy marriage, both of them. Bill's wife died of ovarian cancer. She had suffered for over a year. Verl's husband had Parkinson's disease for 10 years. Both of them were faithful caregivers 
and they cared for their spouses at home until their death. They experienced grieving, and neither had thoughts of remarrying. After 14 years of being alone, Bill's son suggested that he ask Verl out on a date. This is called matchmaking, a matchmaking son. Well, finally, Bill called Verl and asked her to go out to dinner. Being alone for 10 years, Verl was surprised, but then she answered yes. And then Bill thought, oh no, what do I do now? <clears throat> After dating a while and falling in love, they married. And here's what she says about their lives. Our lives are so much happier now, God's work can be done together. I love that last sentence. God's work can be done together. Some of you may be aware of the Magnolia Messenger. It's a publication in the Brotherhood that uh, comes out of uh, Mississippi. In the spring of 2021, there was a, a really neat edition of this publication. It's the most widely circulated publication, I believe, uh, in the Brotherhood in our country. And in this particular edition in the spring of 2021, there's an article in it. It's titled, Holding Another's Hand After the Passing of Your Mate. And it's about these six people who all lost their mates and found other people and married them. Three couples. And it's their happy hallmark story about love, loss, and love again. The second workshop I ever did was in Medina, Ohio, which if you can imagine Lake Erie in your mind, about halfway across Lake Erie, dropped right down in the middle of the state of Ohio, Medina, Ohio. And I went there and I did this uh, workshop. And after this workshop was over, this lady came to me and she started telling me her story. She had this big grin on her face as she told the story. And after she told the story, I said, oh, please, send me an email I didn't need anything else in cursive writing. I said, send me an email about your story. So she did. Now, 2012, she lost her husband. She'd been married 38 and a half years. He lost his wife in 2013. They'd been married for 40 years. They crossed paths at the same congregation in Medina, Ohio. Now, years ago, decades ago, in another state, they were members of the same church. She recognized him. He was clueless about her. They end up in the same church in Medina, Ohio. Here's what she told me. We met after Wednesday night Bible study at a local McDonald's. And she said, I was so nervous, I was shaking. We had a nice chat together. And later, for the next couple of weeks, we chatted on the phone occasionally and then we went out to dinner. She says, it was a date. He picked me up. See, that's what she considered a date. If he picks me up, then it's a date. So she said, it was a date. He picked me up. In July, he went to visit his son in Arkansas. He loves to travel. While he was gone, I was having some health problems. I ended up getting diagnosed with breast cancer. He's in Arkansas with his family. She's in North Central Ohio. She said she knew what was going to happen. He was going to leave her. They weren't going to be able to be 
romantic friends anymore. Well, it just so happened that he went to all of her tests with her. And metaphorically and sometimes literally held her hands through all those treatments. She talks about how that she had lost all her hair. She was puking her guts out. And he was there every step of the way. And they ended up getting married. Neither one of them, you know, one after 38 and a half years and one after 40 years, never considered the possibility of getting married again. And they end up getting hitched. I love the way the email finishes. I never thought I could love someone else. Neither did he. Well, you probably think that there's another side to the coin. And there is. Some of those marriages after loss are not like that. David, who's a has a long history as a deacon in the Lord's Church in Maslin, Ohio, sent me this email talking about when his dad remarried. He said, in the case of my mother-in-law, her remarriage to my dad distressed my wife, even to the point that it affected our visits together. They were usually brief, and Joyce, my wife, was very short with my dad. She made it clear that she didn't like this situation. And David admits, I don't know why my wife felt that way. He said, <clears throat> one of the things that really affected him whenever he had a parent remarry is that second marriage affected his parents' spiritual life. He wasn't at church as often. He wasn't involved in ministry as often. And that's the part of that second marriage that he personally resented. Imagine that kind of internal strife in a family. Well, there were these two people, Effie and John. They both lost their spouses. And they decided to, to get married. And when they got married, Effie ended up getting dementia. And John says, I did not get remarried to care for a woman. I got married so she could care for me. Before Effie got dementia, she found out that that decision to marry John was a mistake anyway. One of the things that she talks about is how controlling he was. He even controlled what things that she watched on TV. She'd married a control freak. She was being dominated. And she was suffocating. She ends up getting dementia. And he doesn't like the idea that now he's having to care for someone else. Probably the worst one. I'm going to read you a Facebook post, a public Facebook post from a lady who was the daughter of an elder in the Lord's Church. And here was her Facebook post. I don't normally write about very personal things, but because most of my friends on Facebook are like family to me, I want to tell you about the recent events of my life 
I know that some of you have been very concerned, and I appreciate that more than you know. It's hard to talk to everyone all the time. So maybe this post will answer some questions and elicit some prayers. Please know that this is difficult for me to write, but I feel like I can make everything clear. I'm just ashamed that I've made such an impulsive decision. As most of you know, my husband Jim passed away in June of 2014. It forever changed my life. I was vulnerable, devastated, and naive. I met someone months later, and we married in July of 2015. June 2014, date of death. Date of remarriage, July 2015. While that may seem very quick at the time, I could not see that. I was lonely, and I should have never remarried so quickly. I don't want to go into all the details on Facebook. After several rounds of heartache with this person, we are now divorcing. Being a teacher in the same town for 25 years lends itself to knowing many, many people. I know now that I am taking back Jim's last name as he was the love of my life and my soulmate. Please pray for me and Lexi as I continue to grieve the loss of Jim and as I move forward from this very embarrassing situation. You all know that all I ever wanted was a loving marriage like many of you have. Research done by the U.S. Census Bureau says that widowed people who marry <clears throat> again within two years of their loss, over half of those marriages end in divorce. Over half. That shocked me when I read that statistic. The reason why it shocked me is I naively thought that if you've had experience in being married, that if anything, you would be a much better spouse in that second marriage because you had the experience. I mean, you think about how little you know when you first get married. I, I love talking especially to older people, and I like to find out about how they met and about their story. And then after I visit with them for a while, I ask them, did you know what you were doing when you got married? I always get the same response. They burst out laughing. That's the first response. They burst out laughing. That always happens. And then something comes next like this. How could we? There's, no, we didn't know what we were doing. Well, you have no idea what you may experience after you say, I do. You just have no idea. I, I thought that if you've had some marital experience and that marriage ended in death, that if you went into a second marriage with that great wealth of experience and that person also comes in with their wealth of experience, that you'd have the potential of having an even better marriage than you did the first time. Research by the U.S. Census Bureau shows that over half of the marriages within the first two years of widowhood ends in divorce. Another topic, then, that we need to talk about. Now, let me confess to you that when I started this ministry, I didn't want to go here. One of the things that I passionately prayed about, in addition to the three things I mentioned to you earlier, one of the things I passionately prayed about was the Lord would help me deal with the temptation of marrying too soon. 
What little I knew was I needed to be careful because I was going to be a mess, because I was going to be grieving, I wasn't going to be myself. And I was in no condition to make a big decision, especially a lifetime-long type decision. And so I really prayed that the Lord would give me patience and help me to be restrained in regard to that particular desire because it's a very natural, common desire. This third book I told you about that is almost in print now has a couple of chapters in it that I have never seen anybody write about before in the Brotherhood. There's a chapter in this book, and the book is titled After the End Comes, After the End of Your Marriage Comes. One of the chapters is Male and Female Relationships After Loss. There's a chapter about that. Then the chapter after that is Marriage After Loss. There's a lot of things in reflecting back. There's a lot of things that we haven't talked about in the church. And it's not intentional. It's just we haven't realized the need to talk about some of these things. But one of the things that we need to talk about, and finally I realized it, and I conceded, I've got to make a session about this. I've avoided this subject for a long time. We need to talk about the situation of somebody who's lost their spouse and about a second marriage. Now, I'm curious with the people who we have here. Do you know anybody who's lost their spouse and married again? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, everybody has. Now, those of you who raised your hand, is there anybody that you know who has a second marriage and you have pretty well seen and it's pretty obvious that maybe it wasn't a good idea? Oh, yeah, okay. See, <clears throat> marriages after loss can be great. Marriages after loss also can be a train wreck. Now, what can we do to have less train wrecks and more really, really good experiences? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to put this in a biblical framework, and we need to think out loud together about these kinds of things. So let me suggest to you that we think about a few things. First of all, let's think about the sanction of God, the privilege, the freedom of God, that if we lose our spouse by death, we have every right in the world to marry again. We have every bit as much right to marry a second time as we did a first time. Now, how is that second marriage qualified in that verse? If her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. What's the qualifier in that verse? Only in the Lord. Now, I have heard people talk about this, only in the Lord phrase. I have read, there are books written about this subject. And there are articles written about this subject. What does only in the Lord mean? Now, there is no question but that that person who's lost their spouse has a right to remarry, a right to reconsider it, and a right to consider it, and a right to do it, to marry again. But God does give that direction, that qualifier, only in the Lord. What does that mean? Now, what have you heard that it means? Okay, a Christian, a person who's in the Lord. As people who believe and trust in the Lord and in that sacrifice and we're Buried with the Lord in baptism, we're resurrected to a new life, we're in the Lord. So the in the Lord, you're suggesting, refers to the person. Now there's another option that uh, is discussed, and that is the in the Lord phrase 
is a phrase that refers to the marriage, not to the person that you're marrying. It refers to the marriage. In other words, that the marriage is right in the sight of God, that it's okay for you to be married to that person. Do you remember what got hair, what got, almost gave it away. Do you remember what got Joseph, John's head cut off? What did he say to Herod in regard to his marital situation? It is unlawful for you to have her. See, we human beings in a fallen world can make a lot of mistakes and we can make a lot of things messy. We need to realize that not everybody has a right to be married to everybody. There are some marriages that are not right. Do you remember Jesus with the woman and he, in this conversation, we find out that she's had four husbands? And then what about the fifth? Not her husband. It was her husband, but not her husband. Um, now you see how messy things can get? See, let me, let me be, I'll be really honest with you. I would not stake the salvation of my soul on what I think about that phrase. I have an opinion, but there's no sense sharing my opinion with you because it really doesn't matter. What I will say without fear of contradiction is that phrase, whatever it means, that phrase is a restrictive phrase. It's a restrictive phrase. Could we at least agree, no matter what that phrase refers to, if we could nail it down one way or the other, can we at least agree to this, that that phrase is like a caution flag being raised. Be careful. Be careful. Anytime there's a restrictive phrase in any instruction we're given, you know, whether it's in a secular setting or we're talking about our lives, our spiritual lives, a restrictive phrase is a caution flag. Whenever we have lost a, a, a mate, we need to be cautious in regard to a second marriage. We just need to be cautious. <clears throat> Einstein, one of the writers about this subject, the most critical key for remarriage preparation is to resolve or mourn the loss of former relationships. Now, that's true whether the former relationship ended with a divorce or the former relationship ended in death. We've got to mourn, grieve that loss. Sometimes what happens is after we experience loss, we try to push too quickly into a new beginning. And we don't permit ourselves to be in what we called last night that forest, that neutral zone where you really have to work on things and struggle with things and kind of find your way, create a new identity, do some healing in regard to your loss. You've got to do that before you're in any right mind to make big decisions about anything. You have probably heard people say, or maybe you've read it in articles or books, that if you've lost somebody in your life, anybody in your life, you probably need to be real cautious about making big decisions, at least for a year. Give yourself some time. Be patient with yourself. Let yourself mourn that loss. I loved this observation. You have to be okay on your own before you can have a healthy relationship with another person. I am asked sometimes, Dean, when is it a good time for a widow or a widower to remarry? And when they ask that question, what they're wanting is they want a number. 
They want a number. How many months? How many years? I can't give anybody the answer to that question, nor can anybody else. I can give you a philosophy and a perspective, and I think it's a wise one. You need to work on yourself before you ever think about joining in with another self. Be okay on your own. Is your life dependent upon having another marital mate? That's something to think about. Now, there is this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5 where younger widows are actually not only free to, but encouraged to remarry. And obviously, younger in life, it would be something even more desirable, and I think something that we would feel even a more urgent need to choose in our life. I know some young widows. I've often said, and I'll say it here again, the Widowhood Workshop Ministry does not serve as a dating service. We are not a marriage factory. I have no interest in going that route with this ministry. What people do on their own, they will do on their own. They'll not do it because I was encouraging it or connected people. But there are a few people that I've met that I've been real tempted to help out. It is such a difficult thing at any point in your life. But when you're younger and you may have children, it becomes a monster, monster challenge to deal with life by yourself. And it's just obvious that you would think more and more about marrying again. This passage here, I think, is critical in Philippians chapter 4. And look at what that passage says. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I want to read this passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4, the context, starting in verse 11. Because I think this is really important in regard to this subject. Verse 11 of chapter 4 starts out this way. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, notice in that passage the word whatever. That's a universal word. Whatever. What does whatever exclude? Nothing. Whatever state I am to be content. And then he gets more detailed. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 13 is often pulled out of context. When he says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's talking about being content in all circumstances of life. He's talking about if I'm well and blessed, that's great. And I can be content that way. If I'm hurting and needful, I can be okay that way. And the reason I can be that way is because of my relationship with the Lord. It's not because of my marital status. It's not because I have children. It's because of my relationship with the Lord. If you look at this context... Upon what should our contentment hang? You know, people talk about hanging their hat on something. Okay, what do you hang your contentment on? If you're a Christian, what should we be doing? What should we hang our contentment on? 
Jesus Christ. He says what he says in verse 11. Because of his relationship with the Lord, I can do all things through Christ. Now, let me ask you in regard to contentment and some difficult life circumstances. Let's say a person has an arm amputated or a leg. Can they be content? I mean, that's asking a lot, isn't it? Now, just imagine what that might be like. Okay. What about, um, what about a cancer patient? Can a cancer patient be content? Now, that's a state. That's a health state, right? And the loss of a limb, that makes you handicapped. Okay. Now, could, uh, can a single person, let's get into marital state. Now, remember... I have learned in whatever state I am. Let's insert the word whatever marital state I am. Now, what are the marital state options? Name them. And please don't get politically correct on me here. Okay, what's, what's one? Single. What else? Married. What else? Divorced. What else? Widowed. That's the one that that lady said she wasn't about to check. Now, by the way, there are other marital states... I did not know this. I went to the, because of my relocation, I had to go to a new dentist. I had no idea the dentist needed to know about my marital state. I've got a picture of the marital states that are listed on... I didn't even know what some of them meant. <clears throat> okay, but we're normal, so we've limited it to the ones that we've mentioned. Okay, now, can a single person be content? Can a... Married person, be content. Okay. By the way, do you know any discontented marital people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Single, you can be content, you said. Married, you can be content. Uh, what about divorced? After a divorce, can you be content? How about after you've lost your spouse? How in the world could you possibly be content? After you've gone through the excruciating loss of the most precious person in your life. There's one way. Through Christ, who strengthens you. That is one of the beautiful things about being a child of God, is that it doesn't matter what we experience in life. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We can be content. It's not because of our talent, not because of our character, not because of our marital state, not because of our health state, but because of Jesus Christ, we can be content. So my prayer, fervent prayer on many of occasions, in addition to the three I mentioned last night, was I said, Lord, help me to find contentment in my widowhood. Because in my opinion, that's the best time to get remarried when you don't have to. When you don't feel this felt need, quotation marks, this felt need. You know, when you feel like you just have to do something. You ever make a mistake sometimes when you just feel like you, do you just have to have that other piece of chocolate? I mean, you know, you just really are driven to that other piece of chocolate. Well, you know, now getting serious, you know, sometimes 
we can have these drives, these human drives that we have, and we just feel like we have to do this or have to do that. Those are not really needs. They're actually desires. At best, you would call them felt needs, and feelings are not a good thing to direct our life. What we need to realize is whatever our personal struggle is, you know, how many of us just love the arthritis with aging? You know, or, you know, the limitations that you have and the struggle sometimes you have to sleep at night. You know, this is just great. Well, no, it's not great, but can you be content with this aging process? You sure can, through Jesus who strengthens us. Now, when a person has struggled with their personal life, their relationship with the Lord, the agony of loss of spouse, and the struggle of being alone, they have gotten to a point where, you see, they're not going to have that drive. I've, I've just got to get married again. See, sometimes when people have felt needs, they will self-medicate their issue. If a person is clinically depressed, sometimes what they will do is they'll get into alcohol or meth. They're self-medicating their personal issue. Sometimes what happens when we grieve the loss of our spouse, we have this felt need to medicate ourselves, and we think, well, I was happy as a husband or a wife. If I get married again, I'll be a husband or a wife again, so I'll be happy again. I'll feel better. Well, no, you won't. Because I do does not change you. Let's assume we have two people up here who are fixing to get hitched. And it's just the time when they say, I do. And both of them say, I do. Now, here's the problem with this situation. She is a neat freak. He is kind of like a bum. Um, they both say, I do. Now, is she going to be anything but a neat freak? Is he going to be anything but a bum? Did the fact that they said, I do, is that going to change them? Is that some sort of a mystical... Let's say she has an eating disorder, and she says, I do. Is that eating disorder going to disappear because she said, I do? No. She's bringing that into the marriage. If he's got some personal issue with anger management, just because he said, I do, is not going to change him into a very well-controlled person in regard to his anger. He's bringing that into the marriage. What we've got to understand that I do is not going to solve the situation that we're struggling with in our life when we're living alone after marriage. We've got to cultivate our relationship with the Lord. I prayed more passionately after my wife passed away than I ever did before. I felt a greater need to pursue him and be close to him than I ever have before after she passed away. What should be considered if you do think about getting married? Well, there are a lot of things to consider. One of the things that you need to consider is the fact that the reality is there are myths about marriage. It's real easy to buy into these cultural myths. That's what they are. They're cultural myths about marriage. Let me share very quickly some of those myths. You'll get a kick out of some of these. Marriage will end my aloneness. Have you ever met anybody that's married 
that felt very alone. H. Norman Wright wrote a book called So You're Getting Married? And in that book, here's what he says. Some cannot bear the thought of remaining alone for the rest of their days, yet they do not realize that a person can be married and still feel terribly lonely. See, people are not the solution to aloneness. God is the solution to aloneness, not people. If people was the answer to the problem of loneliness, we should have less loneliness because we have over 8 billion people on planet Earth. See, people are not a substitute for God. Just saying I do is not going to cure your loneliness. It's not going to heal your brokenness. If you've got an issue prior to the time you say I do, when you say I do, you're still going to have that issue. Marriage will ensure my happiness. Does anybody know any married people who are not happy? Well, we all do. There are people who are very unhappy in their marriages. Marriage is God's plan for everyone. Well, in our country alone, there are over a half a million people who've never married as adults. And by the way, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. Marriage is good for the vast majority of us, but it's not God's plan for everybody. We need to be careful about the myths. Here's where we get into the crux of the matter. Here's what's important. The number one most important thing for a good marriage is spiritual compatibility. That's the number one thing. There's nothing more important than spiritual compatibility. You might call it spiritual unity. Now, that spiritual unity does not mean that they go to the same church. It's not what I'm talking about. doesn't mean both of them have been baptized. You know, both of them have a baptismal certificate. What it means is they both have the same number one passion. If I were ever to remarry, let me describe this person. She loves somebody else more than she loves me. That's the number one standard. She loves the Lord more than me. When you take two people who love the Lord with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. They love the Lord more than anybody or anything else. And then they marry somebody who is of that same ilk. That is the way to build an awesome marriage. That's spiritual compatibility. When you both have that deep, sincere passion for God. If you have spiritual compatibility, the socioeconomic differences can be worked out. The differences in interest, the differences in age, all the differences that we struggle with sometimes as a married couple, those things can be taken care of if there's spiritual compatibility. If you have spiritual compatibility, you have a common blueprint for your life. You have a common purpose. You have common hopes. Spiritual compatibility, there's nothing more important than that. Whether you're talking about a first marriage or a marriage after loss. Time is the acid test of a relationship. Whenever we meet people, we are not totally ourselves. We are better than ourselves. We always put our best foot forward. And let me tell you about what the girl did that I ended up marrying. Be, um, you younger kids will have to 
Google this, hair rollers. <clears throat> My girlfriend would not let me see her with hair rollers. After I said I do, I had to sleep with her with hair rollers. You know, whenever you're starting the relationship, you're extremely careful because you want to put the best foot forward. That's just natural and normal. That's what we do. And that's okay. But over time, what happens is we begin to let our hair down. It's really good for us over the course of time to see that person when they're angry. How do they handle that when they're angry? How do they handle success? How do they manage their blessings? How do they handle their money? What do they do when they're really stressed and under a lot of pressure? See, those things over time, time gives you experience, and then that time gives you the experience that helps you to learn more and more about that person. So we need to take it slow. I have no idea about how long, you know, months, years, whatever, but I just know that time is the acid test of a relationship. Over the course of time, you're going to get to know that person a whole lot more. We need to give ourselves time. By the way, let's make sure we explain this to people who have not yet married that we know, people who are divorced and people who are widowed that we know. Spiritual compatibility. Time. Then there's families to consider. Families are different. What you do when you're getting married is you're blending families. Those families are going to be impacted by your choice to marry somebody else. Where are you going to be at Christmas or Thanksgiving? And what about the birthdays? And are there any special occasions that you need to factor into this decision to be married to this other person who has a different family? And sometimes you've got adult children involved in these situations when we're older. And what do those adult children think? The poor woman uh, that I'm going to marry, maybe you can help me with this. Uh, she is going to have to pass 13 tests. Now, what woman's going to do that? I don't know. Um, but, you know, you've got myself, and I've got three daughters, and I've got three sons-in-law, I've got five grandchildren. And then there's the two dogs down in Gainesville, Florida. We've got to be on the same page here. There's got to be an embracement and acceptance. That's something that needs to be considered. Are you willing to engage in a, another marriage if it's going to negatively impact your family? It's a difficult question, but it's something that needs to be thought about. You've got expectations, and those expectations are going to be impacted by your experience. If I were to marry again, and I use myself as an example because I don't want to embarrass anybody else. I have no problem embarrassing myself. If I were to marry again, it would be nothing like the first marriage. Because I'm not the same person that I was when I was married. And the person I marry is not the person that I married the first time. So it's going to be a totally different marriage. Now, if she was married previously, she's going to be marrying me, and I'm going to be different, and our marriage is going to be different. And so I can't think that this is going to be like a re-up. You know, we're going to re-up. No, this is not like a vow renewal. This is a totally different journey. 
and you have to realize that the expectations that you may have, a lot of those expectations need to be talked about. One of the things that that book that I shared with you about, I wished, things I wished I'd known, I love the titles in the chapters of this book. Let me read to you some of them. I wished I'd known that saying like mother, like daughter, and like father, like son is not a myth. Here's another chapter. I wish that I knew before I got married that apologizing is a sign of strength. I wished I knew before I got married that toilets are not self-cleaning. I wished I'd known before we got married that mutual sexual fulfillment is not automatic. And here's another chapter. I wish I'd known before we got married that spirituality is not to be equated with going to church. There's a lot of discussion that needs to occur over time about a lot of expectations that you have going into this marriage. The time to talk about those isn't after the I do, it's before the I do. There are health and sexual issues that are obviously affected by the person's age and also by their general health condition. By the way, one of the really cool things that me and this drop-dead gorgeous woman, wherever she is, who loves God more than she loves me, one of the fun things we're going to do is we're going to go on a very romantic date. We're going to get some flowers and some candy, and we're going to go to her doctor. And we're going to give the flowers and candy to her doctor, and her doctor's going to tell us about her health condition. And then we're going to go to Walmart and get a Zebco rod and reel after that. And we're going to wrap it, and we're going to take it to my doctor, and we're going to hold hands as we go there to the doctors, and my doctor, after he thanks us for the Zebco rod and reel, he's going to tell us about my health. Um, You know, this whole business of, uh, could I have a list of your medications that you're on that you get when you go to the dentist or the doctor? That's not a bad idea before you get married, too. Um, You know, there are things that we need to talk about. There needs to be an openness and a transparency before you ever commit to another marriage. So those discussions need to take place. This one is super complicated. When you stop to think about financial issues, there's goals, accounts, budgets, debt, insurances, wills, estates, inheritances, and I can't believe the word prenup is on there. When we gave birth to the prenuptial agreement concept in our country, I thought that is the most stupid thing that I've ever heard of. I have always said, both privately and publicly, that is like programming your marriage for failure. I still believe that with this exception. If there are adult children involved, and they're really cranked up about this because what they see is their inheritance going somewhere else. God help those adult children, by the way, who have that perspective. It's not their inheritance. It's not anybody's inheritance until you die. And while you're living, you can do whatever you want to with that money. And you can make whatever plans that you want to. But I can see in some cases, if there are some adult children who are really creating friction because of this proposed union, that there might be some value in a prenuptial agreement to try to calm them down, at least about that issue. Having said that, though, if they have that issue, 
They probably have other issues. But this is a very complicated thing that needs to be sorted out. This drop-dead gorgeous woman who loves the Lord more than anybody else is also a millionaire. I'm dreaming here, okay? Help, go, you know, just go with me here for a little bit. She is a millionaire. Now, we get married. If she dies first, do her three sons have to split their inheritance with my three daughters? We're talking about a million dollars here. Now, what if we get married and I die first? I've been a preacher all my life. I leave behind a dollar and 50 cents. Do my daughters have to break their 50 cent piece, get two quarters, and give a quarter to each one of her sons? We need to think about those kinds of things. Those kinds of things have to be talked about. What about the residents? Where are you going to live? You going to live in her house, my house? We going to sell both houses and move to another one? Another issue, a big important issue, something to be thought about beforehand, something to be worked out beforehand. The whole point of what I'm suggesting here is there are risk factors. Have you ever thought about this? Every human relationship is a risk, every single one. When we get connected with somebody else and we have a friendship, we look at that because there's a reward very positively. Can friendships go sour? Can friends hurt you? Oh, yeah. Any human relationship has risks. But because we see reward, we're willing to absorb the risks. There's no bigger risk in human relationships than getting married. You cannot eliminate risks, but you can reduce risks. The way you reduce risks is you look at a lot of those things that we've already mentioned. But you have to realize you can't eliminate risks. But you need to deal with the things that need to be dealt with prior to the time that you're making this other lifetime commitment. But people can't hurt you. I've known of people who have had their spouses sexually unfaithful to them. I've known of cases where their spouses who were Christians just up and left them. I have known of cases where uh, Christian spouses have chosen to embrace the homosexual community. There are all kinds of risks involved in marriage. So we need to be really careful and make sure that we try to reduce the risk as best as we can. I think here is a good thing to conclude on. Remarriage at midlife or later is somewhat like the merger of two major corporations. Be very wise in what you're doing. Miriam Neff wrote a book from one widow to another, and here's an observation she made. If grafting a different branch in a tree takes careful selection and care. Imagine how much more important is the decision to embark on a new relationship. Take your time, proceed with caution, and pray much. Sometimes uh, corporations will do research for months and even years before they merge. T-Mobile and Sprint is a good example. A lot of work went into that. Now, there are some times when two companies, they do this research to merge, and then they back off, and they decide not to merge. Whenever we choose to go into another marriage, we need to realize there are risks, and we need to look at it as if it were a merger, 
and be sensible and be thoughtful, be guided by your thinker and not by your feeler, and work through those things and move patiently toward the goal that you want to achieve. I hope that that has maybe expanded your thinking about the whole idea of marriage and the idea of marriage after loss. And I hope that if it hasn't personally helped you, maybe it's helped you to be able to help other people as well. Uh, tomorrow, let me make a couple of comments. Uh, worship first, right? Bible study second. In the worship period, we're going to study Psalm 31, a really awesome chapter, where David talks about what we ought to do when we're overwhelmed. There are a lot of things in life that can overwhelm you. And we're going to study that particular chapter with that in mind. What is the right kind of reaction when we're overwhelmed in life by our circumstances? In our Bible class time, we're going to be talking about praise the Lord no matter what. The reason why we're going to finish that way is because if we were honest about it, there are times in our life when we've experienced certain things that have caused us to think and feel in certain ways that sometimes it's not always easy to choose to praise the Lord. Imagine that, that a Christian would have a hard time praising the Lord. I'll confess to you tomorrow morning about a time in my life when I didn't want to praise the Lord. And I was sitting right in church when I felt that way. I'll tell you why I felt that way. Well, I hope it's been of help to you if you were here last night and this morning. And if you were just here today, I just appreciate you taking time. You could have done a million other things, been to a million other places. Now you can go home and cut your yard. It's a nice, pretty day outside. Uh, let's pray together, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of marriage. What an awesome, what a wise thing you did in the Garden of Eden, launching that great opportunity for us to experience life married. Father, what an unparalleled blessing. Thank you, Father, for your wisdom in providing that way of life. At the same time, Father, we know that there are a lot of risks with that choice of being married. Help us, Father, to build great marriages, magnificent marriages. Help us to encourage folks to love one another deeply, be devoted for a lifetime. Help us, Father, to encourage others to express their gratitude for one another frequently. Father, we pray that we can be an encouragement to others to have great marriages. Father, help us to be a blessing to those who've lost their mates. Whether we've lost a mate or not, help us to be a blessing to them. Help us to try to understand a little bit better about what their life is like and help us to effectively minister to them. Father, we're thankful that you've given us the ability through Jesus Christ, your son, to live even after loss. Father, help us to live a meaningful life after loss. Help us, Father, to find ministry to engage in after loss. Help us to keep living and glorifying you as long as we live no matter what we experience in our life. Thank you for this good church opening their doors and providing an opportunity to talk about a lot of challenging life issues. Keep us safe, Father, on our way to the place of destination. We pray, Father, that we'll have another chance tomorrow to bring praise to you in a corporate worship service. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.